Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Real. Grateful for the chance to be with you today. So, one of the things that's happened recently is over the last, say, year, uh, Greg Prince was on with Gina Colvin. Uh, Patrick Mason was on her podcast as well as mine. Patrick Mason goes to Fair Mormon and uh, and gives a talk there. Grant Hardy's talking about the Book of Mormon and historical. Mason is is talking more about how we have to change and develop our theology of prophets. Otherwise, where we're at right now simply isn't holding up. And and he said the same thing on my podcast. And you've got Greg Prince who says we're just we're just light years behind in biblical scholarship and and I've been thinking a lot lately one of the things I've found extremely interesting is as I've gone through my time in the church is the historical Jesus and the impact that understanding that information has on how you frame your beliefs in your faith and it's one of the things that that our church is like again as prince said so far behind that it's absolutely crazy if you walk into a, a normal ward in the church and you ask the question about tell me tell me what you know about the four gospels from a secular point of view people would be clueless they might even be clueless what the word secular means but but they would be clueless to to the fact that these books are that we've we've labeled them authored by Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and they would be completely unaware of the reality that those are likely not the authors they're not in the actual order they likely came in they wouldn't understand that there are differences in those four gospels that cannot be harmonized and and this really becomes difficult for people who hold on to scriptures as inerrant. And and even though we say that prophets are fallible, the the same the same struggle reflects on us because we have prophets. Now, we're not held to scriptures as inerrant, so we can have various views of the scripture. The trouble is that the prophets are the trusted ones to give us information on these scriptures. And there's been really no theologians in the church who were not general authorities who essentially filled the role of theologian, but from an amateur perspective, we really don't have theologians. And because prophets are trusted to be the ones who who have the ultimate authority to give out information, members of the church are so reluctant to go outside of church and to learn anything new or different. The trouble is that these prophets, seers, and revelators haven't given you any scholarship. In the scholarship, whether they want to acknowledge it or not, it's out there. It's real. It leads us to certain places, and it changes the game. And my hope is today, and maybe over the course of several episodes here, I've got a ton of material in front of me. We'll see how long it goes. Maybe it'll be one episode. Maybe it's going to be four or five. I'll just have to play it by ear. And I hope you enjoy this, but this is going to be just a ton of information, and this is just a bare bones, you know, skeleton approach to the historical Jesus. And, and I want to start off by giving you kind of some, some before information. We're going to jump into, uh, Mark first. Then we're going to talk about something called the Q Gospel. 
and then we'll go into Matthew, Luke, and John. But before we go into those, we have to kind of set this up. And, and, and what I'm throwing out at you, and I know I'm talking fast, and I'm going to throw out a ton of information. I, I hope you can kind of roll with this. This is something I've been reading about for years and, and years, and and just over the last maybe six months or so, really begin to kind of grasp what some of this really forces us to 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 do in terms of changing our beliefs. So let's start off with before. The first thing we need to know about Jesus is that there are other individuals who come before him in his Jewish culture who who label themselves or who are labeled by the culture as a Messiah, hope to be the promised person. This would this list would include folks in in the Old Testament such as Moses or David. Specifically, these two would be looked at as as spiritual figures who, in their day, were seen as messiahs. Uh, the Jewish faith puts so much emphasis on on Moses and on David, and and recognizes the role they played. But but as religion has developed, as their stories get put into scripture, they've taken more of a a backseat role to profit. And, and certainly the way we frame those figures would not be in the same way that we frame Jesus. But that said, there, there are a couple of individuals that we don't really know of. One is named Simon. He's around uh, 4 BC. He's a former slave of Herod the Great. And he rebels, um, up against the, the political uh, leaders of, of the day and, and draws people in to follow him and goes to battle. Um, and, and eventually I believe he's killed. And in fact, I think all of these, these folks are, are killed. There's another one called Anthranges. He's around 3 BC. Uh, and then there's uh, another one, Judas of Galilee. Uh, he's the son of Hezekiah, uh, a member of the Zealots faction who led a bloody revolt against the Roman census in AD 6. And so before Jesus even hits the scene, there are other folks who are uh, drawing people unto them, who say that they are they there to save the Jewish people, and and people look to them as the Messiah, and they revolt or rebel against society, and most of them killed. So when you recognize that there is there is this going on in the cultural milieu, you begin to like grapple with the fact that Jesus isn't completely in a vacuum, that his faith's history, as well as the people expecting, as well as people before him trying to fill the role of Messiah. And it's important to know that. The the other thing we want to jump into before we get started is the gospel's intent. The the four gospels that we go through, and then we're going to go through a fifth one that doesn't that doesn't we don't have any physical uh, evidence of but but knowing the other four gospels there is evidence in them that leads to this fifth one existing and we'll talk about all of that but we need to know that that the gospels these four Matthew Mark Luke and John were not meant to be biographies um nor does the historical scholarship on these lend to these being like God walking up to each of these four men and whispering in their ear what to write. And you're going to come to grips with that. If you're, if you're a Latter-day Saint who's very orthodox in your beliefs, as we go through this, I'm just, all I'm asking is that you have an open heart and an open mind 
and and hear what's being said and then go read about it and go study it out in your mind and go see if these things are are you know have evidence behind them and in in your brain and in your in your heart measure out to be true and they're going to compel us to make a few little shifts but i think these shifts are positive and so it's important to know that this isn't God just walking up to these four men and just whispering in their ears what to say. And I think if you want to do a Sunday school class and said, like, tell me about these gospels, and people would say, yeah, you know, Jesus died, and then these four witnesses of Jesus, to Jesus's resurrection wrote down um, their understanding of how the events unfolded, that these events uh, collaborate each other, corroborate each other, and that these events. That, that you could, that they blend together really, really well. And, and I think you're going to see that that's not the case. You're, you're going to sense that each of these authors of these gospels comes from a different background, which is no big deal, but also they each have their own agendas and they each have their own biases. And you're going to see those kind of come out. Um, another thing you need, you need to know before we jump in is that Jesus was a Jew. And I think we like to separate like Christians and Jews. Jesus is resurrected and the people that follow him are Christians and the people who in that culture who don't believe Jesus is the Messiah who's been promised, they remain Jews. And there are these two separate groups from the very beginning, but that's not the case. You really have to understand this, that the followers of Jesus, about three generations deep, they are simply a uh, fringe movement within the Jewish faith that one would still be a follower of Jesus and go to the synagogue. And this wouldn't happen just for the, those who were uh, with Jesus and he dies, he's resurrected and they continue to believe in him while being a Jew. It's their kids and their kids, kids and the converts that also come in during those, those three generations. And, and you got to really grasp that, that Jesus is a Jew that Peter is a Jew, that James and John are Jews, that that Simon is a Jew, uh, Bartholomew, Nathaniel. I mean, there's all these names of various apostles and disciples, Thomas, uh, Judas, of course, who kills himself after he gives the Savior up. Each of these apostles, these, these disciples, all these followers of Jesus, they are Jews almost across the board. They are Jews. Paul is a Jew. And, and yes, they, this begins to kind of get messy, as I always say, as, as they begin to give the gospel to the Gentiles and little by little as the Gentiles come flocking into the Jesus movement, they, they slowly move away from, from Judaism and become a movement of their own, a faith of their own. But for these first three generations, the first generation, absolutely. The second generation, almost absolutely. And the third generation, to, to some extent, are, are Jews. And, and I think that's something we don't really make clear within our faith as we go through the New Testament and studied every four years. Uh, that's probably enough to kind of jump into this. And so with that, let's, let's jump into the book of Mark. Now I'm gonna be real surface level here. I'll, I'll share a ton of links. In the pages, uh, in the, the web address for this episode, there'll be just tons of link pages and pages and pages, podcasts you can listen to, articles you can read, and I'll make a list of books you can go read as well. And, and I'm simply encouraging you as the Latter-day Saint 
to go find out about this stuff. And to me, it is so fascinating. So with the book of Mark, the book of Mark is believed to be the earliest account written. Um, scholars date this account between 60 and 70 AD. And there's, there's some things in the book of Mark that people need to understand. They need to kind of grapple with. And one of these is that Christ has the lowest Christology in the book of Mark. And and I'm only talking about the Gospels here because we could even say that it's possible that Christ has even a lower Christology in, in, within Paul in, uh, in the epistles. But in the book of Mark, compared to Matthew, Luke, and John, Jesus has the lowest Christology. Now again, Mormons are going to go, what is Christology? Christology is how divine are we framing Jesus and how early in his, in his existence does he become something divine. And Mark has him essentially becoming something special from his baptism on. And it's important to recognize that. Mark, Mark again is believed to be the earliest gospel, uh, put down on paper. In the gospel of Mark, there's no nativity. There's no divine birth. There's no Virgin Mary. There's no going to the inn and being born in a manger. It, that stuff simply isn't in there. It doesn't exist in the book of Mark. Now, again, there's a hundred reasons why that could be. We can perhaps talk about some of those along the way, and we'll certainly kind of hit on this at the end. But no nativity scene. What we know about Mark, so first off, each of these books, we have zero evidence that that real witnesses to the life of Christ are the authors of these four gospels. We know from the, the, the narrative of the legend behind each of these, these gospels that the author of Mark is supposed to be some guy named Mark John. And, and the legend goes that he's a scribe of Peter. And, and so as he's following Peter around and acting as his scribe, he eventually puts the life of Jesus down on paper. But there's things we can tell from the writing of Mark. We can tell he's not competent in the Torah. For instance, in the very first chapter of Mark, he points to Christ being fulfilled in some Isaiah scripture. That that in Isaiah there's the scripture and that Jesus is fulfilling that. The trouble is the scripture is actually in Malachi. And, and this doesn't just happen this one time. This happens over and over again in Mark to the point where it becomes pretty clear that this guy is trying to just go off, the author of Mark is trying to just go off of what he knows in his head, but he really doesn't know the Torah very well. And so he's he's mixing up a lot of scriptures incorrectly when he points them towards Jesus. Mark, if you read the book of Mark, and this is one of the things I would suggest you do, take each of the Gospels and read them by themselves. And read them by themselves and try to block out all the things you think and know about Jesus and the Gospels. And just read each Gospel by itself and, and take a piece of paper and a pen and just write down, like, how is Jesus portrayed? How are others portrayed? How is his messiahship or the role he plays with this group? How is it played out in each of these Gospels? And you'll find that, G, that, that in the book of Mark, the disciples are painted as kind of bumbling fools. That that they're clueless all the time. Jesus will go out and he'll teach the people and 
the disciples just aren't getting it. They're not figuring it out. They have no clue. And he'll, he'll constantly tell the disciples that they have no faith. Zero faith. No faith. And, and it's important to note that because this becomes different in the other gospels. Whoever's writing Mark, he has, he has a pretty low view of the apostles, of the disciples, the close disciples of Jesus, that they're just, no matter how much clues he gives them, no matter how straightforward he says it, they're just not getting the fact that, that they're not understanding his teachings and they're not grasping that he's the Messiah. In, in the book of Mark, Jesus tells everyone to be quiet about who he is and what he's doing. Anytime he performs a miracle or does anything, he tells that person, go and tell no one. His messiahship in the book of Mark is a secret. Throughout Mark, there are demons and exorcisms. So, so in the book of Mark, Jesus is very strongly portrayed as an exorcist, as one who can cast demons out from people. And, and this, just from page to page in Mark, there are, there are demons and demons being casted out. In the book of Mark, there's a much stronger focus on Jesus's acts and his behaviors, the things he does. And, and the author of Mark explains Jewish customs throughout the book. He, he goes to a, a greater effort to explain some of these practices within Judaism. And, and that lends us to recognize that he's speaking to an outsider group, those who would not be familiar with Judaism and would need that kind of explaining to happen. It's also important to note in the book of Mark that Jesus, rather than the three-year ministry that would be common to us in how we understand Jesus and his life, Mark portrays Jesus within a one-year ministry, that from the time of Jesus's baptism, essentially, till the time he is crucified and resurrected, you have essentially one year uh, space of time to accomplish all of that. And, and I should finish with one of the more interesting things of Mark, which is that Mark, the book of Mark, uh, actually ends before the text we have today ends. And, and I want to read this to you and, and kind of end this, this gospel with this kind of idea. So the book of Mark, if you were to turn to Mark chapter 16, and 16, in the original Mark text, the very last verse is the is verse 8. So let me read this. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of, G, of James and Salome, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Of course, this is after the crucifixion, after he's been put in the tomb. Verse 2, And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man, sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrightened. And he said unto them, Be not affrightened. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, the place where they laid him. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. 
there shall ye see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly, and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. And that's it. The end. That's where the book of Mark ends off. And it's only a long time later, after Matthew and Luke are written, that somebody goes in, takes some information out of Matthew and out of Luke, and adds in the rest of chapter 16 to finish off Mark. That, that essentially the Savior is, is seen. And this idea that, that you have from essentially verse 9 all the way up to verse 20, and we know be, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you can say you know things, there are things scholars are really, really, really certain of, and, and almost, almost entirely all in agreement on. And one of those is that Mark ends with chapter 8 in verse 16, and that verses 9 all the way through verse 20, are later editions, much, 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 much later. And so one has to ask, why does Mark want to leave you in this kind of suspense? Leave you just kind of hanging, wondering, uh-oh, what, what does this mean? What happened? Did they see Jesus? Didn't they? He just leaves it that way. And it makes the book of Mark really cool. And again, Mark is the earliest text we believe that we have. Um, and so that's the real bare bones basic. We'll, we'll hit a few more things in the conclusion as we kind of compare these gospels to each other, but, but that's the book of Mark. And, uh, and so that, that we'll just leave these really short. This will be the first episode. I won't put, um, much of an intro or outro on these, maybe not even one at all. I hope you're enjoying this kind of a discussion, just having some background on these books. Please don't stop here. Please listen to the other the other episodes that touch on these things, and then kind of we'll have a conclusion and kind of put all this together. Um, again, that's the book of Mark. There's some cool stuff in there, but what really becomes interesting is what what the other gospel writers are doing with Mark, who is the first and kind of setting the precedent on telling the Jesus story. And so may the Lord warm your shoulders. God bless you, and and hope you have an incredible day. Thank you.